If you're like me and you don't restore implants and you want to learn more about this area, or if you're new in the game and you've got your first couple of cases on the go, this episode will be absolutely invaluable. If you remember Devan, he did a few episodes with us about full mouth reconstruction in 11 appointments and he went through appointment by appointment and that episode is like a protrusive hall of fame. In that same style, Devan covers over the across his two next episodes, the five different stages of restoring the single implant crown. We're going right to the basics, starting from a assessment all the way to screwing or cementing your implant crown and we leave no stone unturned. Hello Protrusivati, I'm Zaz Glati and welcome back to the Protrusive Dental Podcast. For me, implants are super confusing. When I was in the first few years after qualifying, I did go on some courses to learn about restoring implants, even learning about to placing implants, but I just decided it wasn't my bag. It's not what excites me. Orthorestorative excites me, occlusion excites me, and implants are, at the moment in my career is not something that I'm spending more energy and time on. I'm doing a lot more TMD now, I'm doing restorative, but who knows what's in store for my future. But as we know, dentistry is a long game and that could change in the future but I definitely needed to serve my patients better by learning more about implants in general. I think we can all do with foundational knowledge and where better to start than learning about restoring implants which is exactly what Dr. Devan Kumar Patel will do today. Now, please, no one be offended by the episode title and Idiot's Guide. You know, if you listen to the end of the episode where we discussed naming this of this episode, it's a bit funny, actually. But I mean this with the best intentions, because actually, you'll when you listen to the interview, you'll see that I'm stopping Devang and I'm like, hang on a minute. When you say this, do you mean this? And I'm learning as we're going along. And uh, when we're talking about internal hex and external hex, for me, that just got really confusing. So I made this analogy of like a belly button, like sticky inny, sticky outy. So you'll see lots of jazzisms in there about me just trying to break things down trying to make it tangible so please no one be offended by the title the protrusive dental pearl today is from the recent webinar i did i did all my productivity secrets revealed because you guys ask me all the time like jazz how do you manage to be a father work in clinic have a podcast do all these courses social media etc etc so i gave away every one of my 17 secrets from getting someone else to do your emails and being getting a pa to getting a, a team for social media to little things like which apps to use so i've covered that all on this webinar and it's now available as a webinar replay so if you head to protrusive.app as the website that's protrusive.app and you make your login you can access that right away there's even a two-week free trial you can use one of the secrets I shared is how I move from a to-do list to a calendar. Because the problem with to-do lists is that you make this very ambitious list, right? We often overestimate what we can do in a day and we underestimate what we can do in a year. So our daily lists are just way too long. And then at the end of the day, you feel really down that you didn't even cross off half the things on your list. Instead, I now put it in the diary. So I know that this task will be done at 2 p.m. to 3 p.m. on this day, for example. So by slotting it into a diary space, you know it gets done if you respect your diary. The problem is life happens and you don't always get to do the things in your diary, right? So again, I used to hate having to move things and edit and move it to like a week afterwards and try and think where I can slot this task in. Now I use something called Motion. So Motion is like a calendar app and it's like a, it's a replacement for Calendly as well. It's a replacement for acuity scheduling, which I used to use. So you can actually book meetings, clean check reviews with patients. You can book meetings with others who sort of book into your diary. So it's a really good calendar tool in general. But what I love about Motion and the reason it's called Motion is because let's say you set some tasks in your diary, you diarize it. If you don't complete it that day, it then figures out where in your diary it should place it in the future 
based on some parameters that you set, like, you know, how high of a priority that specific task is, uh, which days you're willing to work on these kind of tasks. So motion actually decides using AI technology to where it should move your task into the future. So I love this. It's been great for me. It's pretty cheap. It's about £170, $228 a year. So if you'd like to check out a free trial of motion, head to protrusive.co.uk forward slash motion. That's protrusive.co.uk forward slash motion. And just make sure it's right for you, like using it. I did a seven day free trial first and it worked well for me. So I ended up taking it. And by um, taking a membership, I was able to cancel my Acuity membership basically because I was already paying for that, for booking meetings and booking links and stuff. But this does all that. It is like a Canonly and Acuity, but much more with the whole AI integration and your diary. I have to say, I wasn't that overwhelmed by the, the mobile app. So I use it on the desktop and I like how it syncs to my uh, Apple calendar or whatnot. I try it for free and then if you like it then obviously go with it. If not then at least you tried something. It's got to work in with you and your workflow but I've warned you the mobile app is perhaps needs a bit of work on it but the desktop app is what I use and that works really well. Uh, this is an affiliate link by the way so protrusive.co.uk forward slash motion does take you to an affiliate link so if you do sign up we do get a small commission which goes towards supporting this channel. If you want to catch all the other 16 secrets then do check out my webinar on the premium clinical video section of the app. Now let's join Devang to make implant restorations tangible. Dr. Devang Patel Kumar, welcome back to the Protrusive Down podcast. You are a very welcome guest. Like I said before, if you haven't heard of Devang's series on full mouth rehabilitation in 11 appointments, there's a three-part episode. People message me, Devang, saying that they learned more from that three-part episode compared to big occlusion camps that they've been to. Can you believe that? Wow, that's I'm humbled. It's always great to have uh, you. You are very good at uh, taking information out, uh, Jazz. So uh, I think the credit to you as a host. <laughs> Dude, I'm gonna I'm gonna suck so much information out of you today about uh, about implants. But but you know, let's 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 really make it basic. Talk to me like I'm five years old, and I'm gonna be placing my restoring restoring. You're not talking about placing. We're talking about restoring yeah, our restoring. first implant. Let's say, and, and I've heard this before, uh, Devang, uh, is a really good place to start for a GDP is like a lower premolar or an upper premolar. There's no mental mental nerve. Then. So an upper premolar is a great place to start. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, for restoration, it doesn't really matter. Uh, any posterior teeth is fine because we're not worried about the nerves or any anatomical area because when you receive a case for restoration, you would have hopefully healing abutment in place, which you will go through anyway. So any posterior teeth is generally ideal case uh, when, when you start doing first. And if you are restoring, maybe you want to look at the CG dent guidelines on implant placement, actually, but it gives you some ideas to how or what type of things you need. Implant is, I always tell people, because I mentor, I used to, well, I, it's hard work mentoring for implant surgeries, yeah? So, but I mentored for some of my friends and uh, I always tell them that, you know, it's all well and good for you to learn, but you need to be able to show here, at least in UK, because of the regulatory body, you know, uh, if something happens, you need to be able to show that you are capable of doing that. So it's a very good document to go through where you need to really ideally have log, you need to have mentored cases because implant is completely different branch kind of as a, you're learning dentistry all over again. I mean, this is the same also if you're doing Botox. It's the same if you're doing sedation. If you, you know, anything that you do that is pretty much a postgraduate discipline, it's a really good thing to have a log, a reflective log, and evidence to show our governing bodies that, hey, you know what? I'm doing the right steps to make sure I am well-trained. Now, before we go through the five-step process plus the bonus of troubleshooting, so uh, five steps from going to, hey, there's an edentulous region here, to actually fitting your 
implant crown and checking the occlusion and then any troubleshooting. So that's the, the way we're going to go across this two-part episode. But before we go in, uh, Devang, for some people who've been uh, sleeping under a rock for the last year or so uh, and they haven't seen the amazing things you're doing, just give us the, a quick one on you and your mission statement, my friend. Okay, so I'm uh, Dr. Devang Patel and uh, I am the FMR guy. So I teach full mouth reconstruction to the dentist and I've created formula. I've written a bestseller book on full mouth reconstruction. It's available on Amazon. I have a Facebook group called Full Mouth, full mouth Reconstruction for GDPs. And I run all sorts of courses. I have a podcast as well, inspired from jazz, uh, called The Ultimate Dentist uh, Podcast. Uh, listen to that and I talk about uh, full mouth reconstruction on that podcast. And my mission statement is really, I want every dentist, every general dental practitioner to do simple full mouth reconstruction and then take up from there. Because I see now uh, cases on referral basis and I don't see cases until general practitioners has identified. And many times when you don't do stuff, you don't even identify because you don't even, you're not even thinking. And that's why many people who do Invisalign, they do more Invisalign because they're looking actively for ortho cases. Whereas if someone who doesn't do Invisalign, they don't do ortho treatment because they're not looking for it. It's just passing through under their noses. And ultimately, the patient will benefit. And I always tell them, you don't need to do MSc diploma certificate courses in order to learn full math reconstruction. You need a structured course and you need a structured training path in order to learn. So that's my mission statement, full math reconstruction. And you may be wondering... Why am I talking about implant today, right? I've been placing implant for 13 years. I've placed over a thousand and restored over a thousand implants. And I have a passion about it. Most of the cases I receive nowadays are implant related. And then I convert them into full mouth reconstruction because many of them need a full mouth reconstruction. But I've written a book now on implant and I've created an online course and I'm teaching implant because when I teach full mouth reconstruction, many cases involve edentulous spaces. And those that patient who wants full mouth reconstruction, they have a money power to go for implant most of the time. And that's why many of my course delegates are asking me, oh, can you teach us implant? Because they like the way I teach. So they want me to teach them. And that's why I created this court. And that's why I'm asking you to see if I can help anyone else, really. Amazing. Now, you made some good points earlier that if you are trained in GDP orthodontics, then your antennas will be more receptive of crowding, base simple crowding that you can help your patients. Now, let me draw a real world comparison, very relevant to our conversation today, Devang, which is if you are implant trained, then you see the dentist area and you think, hmm, can I get an implant in there? If you are not implant trained, you're thinking denture and bridge as your default. You just are. It's just, it's the real, it's the truth. I know the truth hurts and some people are like, oh, give a patient all the options, but it's true. Some implant dentists are probably doing implants where really a resmarin bridge could have been done specifically, especially for lower anteriors, single lower anteriors. Why are we placing implants? That's my feeling, Devan. You're, you're, you, you, you place implants, I don't, but that's my strong feeling. Whereas those dentists who are really doing elaborate bridges on like post-crowned abutments, you need to be doing an implant, right? Or need to be referring for an implant. So I think there's a middle ground somewhere. Nowadays, implants have become a postgraduate discipline, okay? It is what it is. You do some training. Where do you think it starts? Do you think that we should start by restoring implants first, placing implants first, or should we be looking at doing both simultaneously? I'll tell you my journey, at least. I started restoring implant at when I, when I did my MS in console. We were not allowed to place implant until we restored some implants because the philosophy was that you, when you're restoring, it's a fail-safe, so you know it's not as difficult as placing. And also, you will see what mistakes you've done. The same philosophy where you make your own crowns, 
and you see, oh, I've done under reduction. Does that make sense? Like if you start doing your own laboratory work, uh, you start noticing your mistakes. And then when you start doing crown prep, you understand, okay, I need to do this. So that was the same philosophy where I was trained. So we, I certainly started restoring implants. And what that's for something I would recommend everyone. And then see whether that's your cup of tea because uh, I've, I've known a lot of dentists who invested thousands of pounds learning implant placement and they're not placing implant because they don't like it. So I think it's a safe start to start restoring implant and then for sure placing simple implant for a good restorative dentist is it's really, really straightforward. So I would always recommend to start placing implant at some point, but start with restoring. Restorative consultant Kem Hemmings, he told me once that taking an impression for an implant crown, obviously we're talking about scans today as well, but taking an impression for an implant crown is easier than taking an impression for an actual crown preparation. Would you agree with that? Ken was one of the person who taught me. So yes, I would 100% agree with that. So it is, it is, if you know the principle, if you know what you want, if you have planned everything right, then I can now place an implant and restore it in totality of on the appointment within 40 minutes. So it takes me 15 minutes to place implant. A patient can be in and out within half an hour. And then scanning will take another 10, 5, 10 minutes. And then fitting will take another 5, 10 minutes if everything works fine. And I can't imagine me doing endo or even a crown prep. It takes me more than an hour to do a crown prep on a single molar. So yes, it is, it is simpler. But if you make mistake, the effects can be much more catastrophic as well. So it, it goes either way. And that's why you really need to know what you're doing. In my first five years, when I started to, uh, you know, kiss a lot of frogs before you find your friends charming, and I was kissing lots of frogs, seeing which is the area of density that I like the most. I went on some implant course. I went on some restoring course and stuff. And whilst I, this message was received by me that, okay, you know, maybe I can restore implants. Maybe impressions are easier on implants, which are obviously going to break down today. Just the sheer number of like connections you have to talk about, screw retain, cement retain, just a different combinations and then to complicate it different brands of implants different screwdrivers i know there's a proper term for it uh, it just gets very very confusing and overwhelming but anything worth doing it has you know a steep learning curve there's not a low entry point you have to do your hard work you have to do your due diligence but a lot of people tell me that once you get there once you've restored a few and become second nature it can be very efficient very profitable and what a great service to your patients right so let's let's start my friend step number one is identifying or oh, you tell me what step number one because you got it all laid out okay Yes. Yeah, so um, the way I look at for any process, I look at it in steps. So again, if you follow me or follow through matrix construction, I look at things in steps. So the step are broken down into five steps. So first step is your assessment, really, and treatment planning step. The second step is impressions. Third step is communicating with the lab because that's really, really important. Fourth step is fitting of the crown. Fifth step is maintenance. And then obviously you have troubleshooting and uh, complications and how to manage those complications. So these are the six main steps. And with regards to, let's start with the step one where we do the assessment. Before we do this, you, we need to understand that, that there is a difference between implant and a tooth. Okay, so the main difference is the implants fuse into the bone and tooth has periodontal ligament. And that gives you much more proprioception. And because tooth has a periodontal ligament, and implant is fused in the bone, the mobility of the tooth is different than implant. So we know that if you if you push the tooth down, it can go, it can intrude up to 25 to 100 microns. Whereas if you are applying jiggling forces, again, it can move up to maybe let's say 56 to 108 microns. Whereas the implant, 
is fused almost. It has a little bit movement because of the osseous, so the bone moves as well, but in less than 10 microns. And that's one of the main reasons we will come back to when we, we're going to discuss about occlusion in implant because you need to understand that the implants don't move, but the teeth do move, even healthy teeth. And that's how you need to manage it. So having said that, let's look at the, the time where patient's sitting in your chair and now you're thinking, mm, shall I take this patient for restoration or not? Remember, as a general dental practitioner, you are the person who's going to see that patient first before your implant surgeon sees it, okay? So many of the decisions need to be made by you, and that's why you need to understand the process of implant planning, placement as well, even though you're not placing it. And yes, implant surgeon might come, come back and do a consultation with you and decide, okay, you know, whatever you plan is rubbish, but that's fine. You learn from planning, okay? And that's how I plan. I mean, what you don't know, you don't know until you start doing something, right? For any case, my first thing I'm going to check is patient expectation, okay? Whether am I going to be able to match or my implant surgeon is going to be able to match the patient expectation? It could be realistic, but you not trained for it. It could be unrealistic or simply put, you don't like that patient or that you can't get on with the patient. And that's the biggest factor for me. If I don't get on with the patient, I don't treat them for their sakes, really. And, and with implants, it's like something that, you know, hopefully will be a long-term thing. And it's like kind of like, like, kind of like orthodontics. It becomes like a marriage, right? I know plenty of yes. patients who like to go back to their orthodontist or the dentist who did the orthodontics to go back for their retainers and reviews. And uh, plenty of patients who, although we can maintain their implant for them now, they still prefer to go back to their implant dentist once a year, once every two years to, to do that. So do you really want to see this patient in the long term? And if you're not going to see yeah. eye to eye, then you're totally right. Agreed. Yeah, and with regards to long term as well, I, I tell all my patients from the day the implant won't last for a lifetime. And that just breaks the ice and you then don't have to, you know, I tell them that there's, you know, 80% chance, 85% success rate over or, or survival rate over 10 years. And no patient has said no to me because of that. But you need to put it up, for, up front and you need to tell them that they don't last a lifetime because many times I had a doc and I learned because I had a doctor, GP, once I finished my implant, this was early days, uh, he's like, oh, now this is, I'm set for rest of my life. And I'm thinking, you're a GP. Like, you know, I mean, how many times we've done things and, you know, you know that it doesn't last a lifetime. No, not even TV. Like, you buy a hundred grand car, they don't give you lifetime got a guarantee, you know. So, but that's something, a mentality really we need to shift. So once that's done, then as you really importantly said, we need to really discuss different treatment options, okay. So... I am very aware that I am biased towards implant. So I tell patient that, look, I am biased towards implant, but let's figure out what's best for you, not what's best for me. And I have this open discussion with patient. And this is something I learned from Otozer and Marcus Hussler. They are a good periodontist and they are very aware that when we do one thing all the time, we get biased towards it. So we need to really have that separate mind, which is not biased and think both ways. It's like the saying where when all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And that's been <laughs> used a lot with a certain implant dentist who perhaps yeah. overzealously trigger happy with their implants where they could have been doing other yeah. modalities. So we need to give all the options that are appropriate. I have had a situation where associates send case to me and I said, no, this tooth can be saved. And they're like, no, you can't. And now I went on and saved it because I do restorative treatment as well. But that's something you need to really discuss. So I discuss with patient all the options, denture, bridge. And sometime I, I, I've done bridges like 90-year-old, 91-year-old needs a big bone grafting. Okay, you just do conventional bridge. 
there's nothing wrong with that you know so um so that's something we need to discuss then we need to discuss we need to see smile line if obviously if you see your first few cases i wouldn't recommend touching the anterior teeth although if the implantologist has done a good job they are no different because the impression process is same if your lab technician does a great job then you can just just literally go straight to finish but if you are going to do anterior teeth early on you got to pick someone with a low smile line so when they smile they don't yeah. even show their papilla ideally right in, exactly in the first few cases that was one of the criteria but you need to make sure you give patient a mirror and see how they look at it because even though patient's smile is low they might pull their lip up and look trying to look and if that happens that's a high lip line case for me if that makes sense so you need to really also assess patient how they're looking at their smile then obviously we need to look at the oral hygiene whether patient's oral hygiene's great periodontal condition this is something really important many time implantologists misses that because they don't have a restorative background you need to look at the adjacent teeth okay we need to look at the contact points sometimes the te- teeth are tipped can we correct that there there are restorations which are sticking out which will create a point contact and i want sort of a surface contact if that makes sense so can i adjust that so we need to look at all this adjacent teeth uh, you're talking about like assessing. amalgams right amalgams with ledges amalgams with the uh, old amalgams which are still perhaps yes. don't need to be replaced but you know just actually polishing them getting a red diamond and getting the exactly. right contact surface mm-hmm. yes so that's something which i even miss sometime time to time and i wish that we had lab technicians who would, because sometimes when i do when i do my own wax up i really i'm sitting in calm there's no patient i'm thinking i wish that technician would take a lead on them and then when they receive a work it's like deb you could do with a little bit bonding on the mesial aspect of central central to get the the mesial distal dimension perfect of both the teeth they'll just restore the gap but if if we get some sort of a guidance then then that would be really helpful from technician and then uh, this is also come in the secondary treatment so you need to always look at whether patient need any whitening whether they need any ortho because you can't it's very difficult to do ortho after you've done implant it's not impossible it's tricky or patient need any full mouth reconstruction and this discussion needs to happen before patient has implant even if you think patient is not going to go ahead with it so even if patient says no i don't want full mouth reconstruction at least you need to have a discussion because guess what i've replaced someone's few dent few implantologist implants implants were fine crowns were fine just patient need full mouth reconstruction patient wants to know where of that i'll ask you a tough question damang obviously you teach for mouth rehab and, uh, and you're also teaching uh, restoring uh, implants for gdps i think and see if you agree I think if we were going to go on a learning journey with you that you should learn full mouth reconstruction first then first. implants right because 100%. if you if if you someone's lost vertical dimension they got tooth wear issues generalized and their teeth are really really short and then you put an implant in there and try and conform in that bite really they would have benefited from opening the vertical dimension it's much better to plan the implant from that new yeah. occlusal position right and same with orthodontics or have a eyesight on assessing which patient need full mouth reconstruction you don't do it refer to your colleague who does do full mouth if that makes sense so because i understand learning full mouth reconstruction and implant can be quite daunting like together and expensive because you know learning any of those two skills is not cheap but yeah you need to have an ability at least to plan those cases when you are doing implant restoration then you need to look at the the space whether you have enough space because you know for restoration and that really matters if if you're looking at interarch because sometimes posterior teeth i actually saw a case 2 days ago one of my mentee uh showed me and th- this was on a full mouth reconstruction we do a mu- two weekly sort of case discussion and uh, someone literally placed an implant on lower right 7 recently two months ago implantologist and patient got collapsed bite 
patient upper right seven is touching the healing abutment of lower right seven, which is equigingival. So they are now considering explanting that implant and giving a patient refund and then doing another implant. So, I, I mean, I had few thoughts about that in the sense that you could use that implant to literally intrude the tooth if implant fails, fails, but at least you're doing something with that implant rather than explanting it. But what I'm trying to say, the implantologist did not see. They just saw the bone, saw the edentulous area, placed the implant really nicely, parallel implants, but did not check the occlusion. Which is why it should all be restoratively, restoratively driven. And that's the you know, basic thing. When the patient bites together. Yeah, and that's why as, as, as th I feel genuinely that as a general dental practitioner, it's our responsibility because implant surgery, they're trained for surgery, not trained for occlusion or anything like that. So I don't blame them. It's our responsibility when we refer a patient to tell them that, look, this is the case. There is no interarched space. A patient will need something else doing or don't refer a patient until you sort that out, if that makes sense. So we need around five millimeter from gum to the cusp tip, at least a space for the posterior teeth. You could do clever tricks and you can do alveoloplasty and you can do all sorts of stuff to, to do that. But um, And I actually recorded a super erupted teeth podcast episode that so that, that covers it a little bit more in there. What about mesiodistally? Mesiodistally depends on the on the tooth, okay? So, and, and obviously how, how tall is, and you give a really good example of the lower central, I completely in agreement with that. So if you have one lower central incisor missing, then you need to decide, okay, you can't really place an implant without damaging. Having said that, I don't see that many cases where just one incisor is missing. It's mm -hmm. usually patio or some issues where at least two of them needs to go. If that's the case, even then, I do two to two resin bonded bridge sometime because placing implant right in the middle where most of, of the time other incisors are not good bone support either, I just do that. And then when the two laterals fail, then you can do two implants on laterals and replace four teeth. And that's more predictable with implant. So that's kind of you need to assess. But generally, you need to assess for the rest of the teeth, mesiodistal space uh, if you have enough. Now, if you're placing, let's say, whatever size implant you're placing, you need to add three millimeter to it. So if you place three Let's millimeter, let's make it implant, really tangible. Uh, let's make it really tangible, Dev. Like we could talk about every single tooth of the arch, and then we won't have time to record the other steps. So let's say <laughs> we're doing an upper first premolar. Let's just go with run with this one example and go deep into this one example. What is the width of the premolar? That play for particular premolar. Well, actually, I'd like to know for you uh, what is the minimum that you want. And at what point yeah. does it become one and a half units and then you're struggling and there's going to have to uh, accept aesthetic compromises, you see? Yeah. So basically for premolar, I would want ideally to place around 3.8 millimeter width of implant. Uh, it depends on the system. Yeah. So if you're placing enclosed, you have 3.5, which is fine for premolar. If you, I'm placing biohorizon. So you, at the moment, so I placed, I've placed, used all, but right now I'm using biohorizon where it's 3.8 is the, the size so that's the minimum I would want to use. And then you need to add three millimeter on either side because you want 1.5 millimeter safety distance between two teeth. Now, I have encroached that safety distance in past and everything's fine. So, you know, uh, you don't need to panic too much. Uh, even if you think the space is a little bit tight, maybe half a millimeter, uh, you can still gain uh, consent from the implantologist, let the implant surgeon decide. But generally, 3.8 plus 3, 6.8 millimeter width you want between roots, okay? And if you have around three millimeter on either side, then it almost becomes a molar. Now, if let's say two pre millimeter which are next to each other missing, that's a little bit tricky scenario because sometimes you can't 
put two implants together. Remember, between two implants, we need three millimeter distance. So now we place it, we need six millimeter, just a space, plus whatever size implant you use, two of them. So many times you may decide to have a cantilever bridge, which is not my favorite option. I prefer if there are two teeth missing, two implants and two teeth, but I would rather do a cantilever than put two implants next to each other, very close together, and then make problem with that. So that's how I make decision. Implants are like trees. They want space. I don't yeah. know, some famous implant surgeon said that once and I heard it. And so I, I like to, to I, I, that'll, that'll be my one contribution to this episode. Implants are like trees. <laughs> yeah. So you need to really make sure that they have space, basically. Okay. They, they, they like breathing space. Yes. Whatever size your implant is, add three millimeters. That's how much distance you need between the roots. And obviously you're looking at between the adjacent teeth as well. Make sure for aesthetics that you plan for it. Often a wax up may help you in such scenarios. What more do you want to add in terms of the assessment before we move to stage two? So assessment stage quickly, you need to also make sure that you have planned for temporary or provisional when you are doing these kind of uh, or planning these cases because if it's the anterior case even premolar some patients don't want to go without so you i my go-to uh, method is used to be maryland bridge or resin bonded bridge the problem with that is they can come off and if i'm working in 11 different practices you know it's a nightmare so also what i've seen is i've used to use for canine so if lateral incisor a lot and if the uh, resin bonded bridge, if you use it for a long time, some case, some of my cases, like if, you, if I'm doing autogenous block grafting and soft tissue grafting, can last for 15 months. Maryland or resin bonded bridge put on high for 15 months will create a space when you remove it. So the canine guidance gone. So I now use most of the time Essex retainer with the, with the tooth. The problem with that is patient can't eat on it. So I give them a denture, but not to use it straight after surgery. So that's something you need to assess. Then you need to assess occlusion. We discussed that, you know, with the guidance. You need to really have a vision as to after you finish the treatment, what type of occlusion patient's going to have. So if you need to add canine rises to miss the implant, you need to do that before the treatment so that you get, you have the occlusion which is optimized. And then, of course, as I said, diagnostic wax ups. You need to make sure that you have done diagnostic wax up in order for you to plan the treatment properly. Is this mandatory? Do you, th- you think this is a mandatory step with the dentist who's starting to do a restorative implant? If they're starting, yes. I think it's, uh, I w- I'm, I'm not there to make regulations. I can tell you that I don't wax up all my cases. When you place over a thousand implants, you can really uh, assess if the tooth is bound. Um, that's the simplest case to place implant because you get the reference from either side. I do get wax up when there are more than one implant I'm placing. So if I'm placing two implants next to each other, then you need to know exact distance you want these implants to be placed in order to get the good restorative. But if you're starting, I think you would be better covered if you have done diagnostic wax up or if you're doing surgery, then had a surgical stent made up. But if you're restoring, then at least have a diagnostic wax up done and get gain consent from patient. Okay, great. Well, that was a okay. whistle-stop store of uh, assessment. Uh, yep. Let's now get to the, the, the real deal, the meat and Mitty potatoes British. of uh, restoring implants. Absolutely. So now we're coming to step two, where we are ready to take impressions. So what will happen is that once you refer to your case, and which I would recommend you plan with implant surgeon, not just refer the case, ideally stay within that consultation appointment, plan it together, uh, and you learn more planning process and how your implantologist think, because everyone thinks differently. The, he or she will place an implant and send back 
and do an exposure of the implant, send back the case to you, where you will see a healing abutment, which is in, in, in the implant. Now, healing abutment could be customized, so they may have customized the healing abutment to give you nice form of the gum, or it could be a stock healing abutment, which may look like a silver, uh, sort of a metallic color and would be round. For an upper premolar, what would typically come back? Would it would a custom one come back, or would a standard one come back? Depends. Depends, okay. but usually it will be cust. Uh, it will be standard. Okay. Yeah. So you will have a standard healing abutment. Now, again, you would have known which implant system your implantologist uses. As I said, I would recommend that you observe at least five cases restoring that in person restoring it before you start just jumping and start restoring the implant uh, cases. So you can log that you have observed. And ideally for at least my mentees, I, I tell them that I would observe their five cases. So at least 10 kind of observed cases before they go uh, on themselves. It's a bit of an overkill, but I think that's the safest way to learn. So now, once you get the back, you will have a healing abutment. Gum should have healed nicely. Sometime, uh, if the sutures are still there because they want you to take the sutures out and take the impression at the same time, which I tend to do if it's a simple exposure, then you just need to take the stitches out. Make sure the gums heal looks pink. Sometimes if the implant surgeon has done soft tissue grafting, it will take a while before it heals. But most of the time, as an implant surgeon, I only refer patient back to dentist once I know it's complete, it's ready to take impression basically. So that's where you are. Now, it, when it comes to taking impression, you have three different ways to take impression. Okay, so you can take impression using closed tray method. You can take impression using open tray method. And of course, you can use digital impression as well. Okay, closed tray method is the least favorite method of mine because the way it will work is you put something, you take the healing abutment out, you put this impression post in the implant and you take like a normal conventional impression like you do for crown and bridge. And what would happen is whatever you put the impression post in the implant will come out in your impression. I'm asking very noob questions here, right? So this is like, you know, a very basic level. But the impression post, when it attaches into the implant, it's not like fixed. It's it's allowed to come out or come away in the closed tray, yeah, right? Yeah, so it's, it's not, not fixed screwed there. in. Okay. So Perfect, for, right. for a closed tray, if you're not screwing in the impression post, sometime, some, and this is where the confusion comes, right? So some imp uh, implant system has screwed in post and you will have a toggle on top, like a small insert on top. So you only get the insert picked up in the impression, not the whole post. But you will have to see, uh, I'm just giving you a general idea because every sure. it's difficult to cover every implant and how they work. But generally, the concept is you take a normal impression. And this concept was developed because uh, to make general dental practitioner's life simple, plus to do an open tray impression, you need to be able to put the, the post, the screwdriver, everything in patient's mouth. And if you're doing upright seven, you might not have access to do all that. That's the reason closed tray was one of the one of the benefit of closed tray impression. Putty wash, yeah, just normal crown and bridge material. You could use okay. ideally Impragum, which is more rigid, but I do putty and wash most of the time to okay. be honest, because not my surgeries they don't have Impragum. So coming back to the the the, the issue of you not being able to access uh, upright seven is that if the implantologist has managed to place an implant, which is basically you have a driver implant is on top and place all that in upper right seven, then there's always patient has immediate, you know, effective mouth opening for you to take open tray impression. So in last 13 years, I probably have done one open tray impression. Sorry, closed tray impression. So now I almost 99.9% .9 take open tray impression, which is more accurate. Why are you okay. so against closed tray? I, I'm still trying to suss out what is it that you don't like about closed tray? Because what will happen with the cold closed tray is 
you know, the thing you picked up in your impression, then someone needs to manually put the impression post, click into that impression. Now, when you're doing all that faffing, you can move stuff. It's easy to move and make Understood. the impression inaccurate. And one thing we want to know, what we want to do is when we take implant impression, we don't want our impression post to move. We want it to be rigid because implant is fixed in the bone. Few microns here and there, the crown won't fit very well. So just describe yeah. open tray because what you haven't mentioned yet, but I've done it before is, it's like, do you always need a special tray or can you use a stock tray for these? No, you, 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 you can use, I use stock tray most of the time, unless I can't find a stock tray which fits in patient's mouth properly. Okay, so when I put the, use, select the stock tray, I select the biggest tray I can fit in patient's mouth because I want material thickness, right? So you want thicker material in order to pick up the implant so it's much secure, okay? So let, let me go through step-by-step -step process of taking impression, okay? So once you have your healing abutment and patients in the chair, uh, you need to, before you, you, do, you see a patient, you need to make sure you have all the components. You have appropriate impression post, you have all the drivers you need for the impression. Having a short driver is helpful because sometimes it can get a little bit tricky. If you're using a driver first few times, or ideally all the time, you need to floss it just so that you don't drop it down the down patient's throat. So you have you kind of have secured it. So make sure that you check because every implant system may have different impression force posts for different implants. So check what implant it is. Check whether you have right post, and make sure you have right components. Once the patient's in the chair you will take the healing abutment out. I always irrigate with chlorhexidine to make sure that before I put the impression post, I'm not really putting anything in there. My impression post will be in the chlorhexidine as well. I pick it up, put the impression post, try a tray in patient's mouth and see where the impression post sticking out on the impression tray. Use a straight hand piece or a fast hand piece to create a hole so then it sticks out of the impression tray so I can unscrew it once the impression material is set, right? My nurse would then mix the putty and I would uh, excur some light body around the implant and occlusal surfaces of all the teeth. I will then uh, place the impression tray and quickly find the post. It's really important that you find the post. Otherwise, if your impression is covered, the post is covered by your impression material, you can't unscrew it and the impression won't come out. So just, just to make that tangible, like once you've got the, you've, you drill the hole, like you said, you, you, you try the tray and you see where the impression post is, is prematurely hitting the tray. Right? Yes. And then, then that's where you drill the hole and now the tray can seat fully. But once you've got the putty wash in, that, that's all going to get covered in impression material and it's about yes. just searching for it with your finger. Is that what you mean, right? Exactly, yes. So okay. make sure you create a bigger hole than you think you're going to need because the, the tray is not going to always go straight in that position. So make sure you have a, you have a little bit leeway uh, and then you're with your finger really, you're pressing the putty whether you created a hole to palpate the, the tip of the impression post. Once you've got the tip, I would keep my, my finger pressed there so that the material, impression material doesn't cover over while setting and then let the impression set. Then I will use a straight probe to flick the impression which is there on the screw access hole because you know there will be some impression material in the access hole. Straight probe, flick it out, and then unscrew the impression post. Now, you need to make sure it's completely unscrewed before you yank the impression out of patient's mouth. The way to know that is when you're unscrewing something, anything really, and if it's completely unscrewed, it will click. So because the, the threads are jumping, right? So if you're reversing, if it's clicking, that means it's completely undone, basically. Take the impression out. I'll, I'll ask a question, another, another silly question, if you don't mind. Is this impression post completely cylindrical? It has notches and it has small grooves. 
so you can have the impression sort of get is that what is that the question well my my, my thing is my you know i'm imagining now this is years ago since i last did this but if i am twisting and unscrewing it then isn't the impression material getting distorted no so this is screw within the screw right so impression <laughs> post has a of hollow course, channel screw within the screw yeah there is a hollow channel so impression post doesn't move but the screw under inside moves same way you Got fit it. the screw retain crowns right so the crown don't move the screw inside the crown would would sort of engage got it now um, now i'm with you cool so um so now you've taken the impression out i would irrigate the area with the chlorhexidine and place the healing abutment which was there in the chlorhexidine back into the socket right screw it screw it back in you don't need to torque and do not torque the healing abutment just hand tighten uh, don't use a torque wrench now some people like to take x-ray when put after placing the impression post just to make sure it's seated properly i don't because nowadays impression post uh, comes with the a definite seating so you know if it's not in a definite position it will not seat and you will see it click most of the time and that's how you would know that it's seated properly however if you want to really take an x-ray then by all means do the x-ray to understand whether it's completely seated now one thing we haven't discussed is there are two different types main two different main types of connection inside the implant before we get to that if you don't mind because this is really a bit important conversation coming now so let's just finish off on the impression for the for the newbie dentist really new in the world of implants here which is what we're uh, targeting at the moment in helping the protrusorati out who've never done this before you don't need any retraction cord and is there no. usually a bleeding that you need to deal with so this is this is what makes usually this kind of stuff easier than a normal crown right Yeah, generally there is no bleeding. There is no bleeding when you take the healing abutment out. You may see a little bit bleeding maybe uh if the gum is still bleeding be raw from the surgery, but no, generally there is no bleeding and if there is a bleeding, you don't need to worry about bleeding. Even let's say you take an impression and you know the impression post where it connects into the implant and you tip your impression and you see usually when you take when you do the crown impression, you want to see the margin nicely you don't need to worry about all that because if the margin is slightly uneven some of the material is not a little bit flowed it's okay because technician can figure that out it doesn't as far as you can you got the connection right the impression post seated completely in the implant that's all we want to capture so it doesn't have to be like a you know our crown prep and that's where it is so you don't need to use a retraction cord you know i don't know about you but if i'm taking less than 2 3 crown prep together it never comes out in one impression i have to at least attempt twice to get all of them in one one go so 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 air bubbles are forgivable as long as the impression yeah. post in general fits very precisely into yeah. uh, the impression right yes and it's not moving okay in the impression so now let's talk about this really mammoth topic of different connection types because like i said as someone who once ventured into learning this stuff it got overwhelming the different connection types different brands so let's try and make it tangible now for me and for the patricerati okay sorry just to complete the impression steps you need to then take the opposing arch if any occlusion you need to record you need to take the bite registration or for single tooth generally you don't need bite registration because you can hand articulate right and then once that's done you need to package it in a bubble wrap put it in a box and then like a wood cardboard box and then send it don't just put it in a bag and send the impression because you haven't seen people collecting those bags it gets lots of things goes on top of it right so things can distort the impression post so you need to make sure that is secure before you send it to technician now before you do that actually you need to write a prescription right so you need to make sure that you you written a prescription to laboratory technician 
And that's where all the connections and everything will come in play, right? So now you're, you're telling your technician few information, okay? So you, you, you are going to communicate with technician what, in, what you've just done basically and what you want them to do. Now, before you do that, you need to know few things, okay, uh, about implants. So first is connection, obviously. There are lots of connections and it's difficult to cover all of them, but there are two main connections. You have external, hex, external connection and internal connection, which means implant is solid and then the crown goes on top of it and externally hooks into the crown, whereas internal connection, implant, crown will literally go inside the implant. So there are two different connections. Internal connection is the one which is most widely used. So there is a very high likelihood for a single crown, you will receive an implant with the internal connection. I'm a, I'm a simple guy, Devang. Listen, I'm, I'm a very simple yeah. guy. Am I? Is it an oversimplification if we call an external hex connection an outie, like belly button, an outie and an innie? Yes. Would, would this yeah. analogy work? Yes. So you have Let's go with innie, that. which is an internal connection, <laughs> like a belly button. So, you know, you go inside uh, and that's the internal connection. Um, and the reason is that it's a bit more secure for the screw. Okay. So there's less screw loosening with those connections, uh, especially for single crowns. Um, generally, for single crowns, you will not see external connection implant nowadays. Okay. Now we decided, okay, we're going to mainly dealing with internal connection implants. There are two types of internal connection, main ones. One is a butt joint, like surface on surface connection. And the other connection is a conical connection, like cone within the cone. Okay. Okay. Now, if you imagine surface to surface connection, it's easy to, you, for you to know if it's not seated properly. Like if it's not completely seated and there's a millimeter gap, if you take an x-ray, you will see a black margin. Does that make sense? Mm. Because there's an air so in so between. This is, this is the butt to butt. Butt to butt. So, so, so okay. it's a butt joint connection. You would know easily if your crown's not seated properly. Got it. Whereas if you have a conical connection, it's difficult to know exactly whether the cone is completely seated or a few microns off. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's Makes the difficulty sense. with conical. However, conical connection gives you more secure connection than butt to butt because with butt to butt, butt joint connection, if the screw becomes a little bit loose, it just starts wobbling all of a sudden. Whereas with okay. the conical connection, if the screw becomes a little bit loose, the conical connection itself will protect the crown. So you okay. get less screw loosening with that. Plus, this is for implantologists as well, that uh, it gives you nice emergence profile and it, it prevents your bone. So bone stays better. So I prefer personally uh, conical connection. So when I use BioHorizon, I prefer cone log uh, implants in there because it has a conical connection. Does that make so sense? So we like, uh, we, yeah, it does. So we like sticky any Im uh, implants uh, with a cone connection. But like all of this stuff, like for example, you said you said you use BioHorizons. Do they have a BioHorizons sticky any? Do they have a BioHorizons sticky outy? Like, yeah. or is a brand generally Everything. one type yeah. of way? So you can get every. It's like a candy shop. You can get every single combination. Yeah, and unfortunately, you're not going to be the one who will select that because your implantologist would have selected it you kind of mercy of them. Whatever they select, <laughs> you need to restore it, right? So I have made a lot of my associates life difficult when I, when I, by selecting some of the implant system. But that's that's how it is. Uh, they all have ins and outs. They all have problems, but and no system's perfect. So it's not that if you get a butt joint connection, it's not good. You just need to know what it is and how to, how to assess it, really. 
So that's one but, thing. But this is this is a feature of the implant that's already in the patient's mouth. You are just uh, yes. a finding the information of that implant, identifying it correctly. So uh, this is something that your implantologist, when they send it back to you, hey, I use a BioHorizon 3.8 sticky any internal hex uh, with a cone. Um, make sure you know this information. Is that kind of how it works? Yes, exactly. So I always send my or my associate, someone who's referred cases to me, a log sheet with the sticker, because I might make a mistake in writing what connection it is, but generally when we place implant, we use a sticker from that implant to put it on a paper. I scan it and just send it to them. So there is no ambiguity as to, you know, no miscommunication. Uh, and that's something Very I give good. the patient at the end as well. Mm -hmm. Now, Devang, before we continue again, I I'm going to suggest, I'm going to suggest, because I'm really enjoying this, I'm going to suggest we, we nail this part one Right, like really just yeah, yeah. slow down a bit. Let's nail this part one. I think let's re-record for part two one day, but I'm, I'm just letting you know that I'm really, I'm learning a lot here as well. And I think this is okay. really going to be like, for a lot of people new to implants, be like, wow, you know, the sticky innie, sticky outy. This will be really good for us, I think, if we just yeah. slow it down and keep finishing off part one like we are. Is that, is that okay with you, buddy? Yeah, yeah, that's fine. That's fine. Yeah, no worries. Okay, cool. Fine. Okay, so now you know which type of implant okay. it is. Uh, and then I guess the Im impression post will also depend on on that information as well like the impression yes. post that you select exactly so you would have known this information kind of before and anyway this is not the time you would know what this is too late kind of uh, you would have known when you receive the patient all the information because you need to have all the components ready this is for you to tell your technician right but when you tell technician what implant it is what platform size it is and what what sort of connection it is implant to, uh, the laboratory technician will know but i'll come to that in a minute so first thing you need to know what connections implant has, okay? The second thing you need to know is screw retained crown and cement retained crown. That's a big, two different, two big different camps, really. Uh, some implantologists, they, they, they are like, truly believe that cement retain is the way to go. And some people believe screw retain is the way to go. I'm in a screw retain camp. As I said, I'm biased. The reason I prefer screw retain because it's uh, easier to manage. If there's, let's say, a patient doesn't like it, have you fitted the crown? And we all have this patient sometime to time to time where you fitted patient like, yeah, everything's good, perfect. And then you get the text message because all my patient has my mobile number. You get a text message or when patient come for a review appointment, like, mm, I don't like it. I want to change this. Now, if you have used a cement retained crown, which I will go through the process in the next episode, that it's difficult to take the crown out and change it. If it's a screw retained crown, you can unscrew it, send it to a technician, and change it. Future complications, like if something's chipped or broken, if patient's broken the porcelain of it, it's easy to manage. If there's inflammation around the implant and you want to take the crown out to assess properly, it's easy to do that. So for me, and also the main reason I stopped doing it years ago, 11 years ago doing cement retain is because there's a risk of peri-cementitis, which means that the cement can go into around the implant tissue and cause irritation and that can cause implant to fail. And this is a very well-known, studied, you know, fact uh, that many of the cement retained implant fail because of this reason. Did you just say peri-cementitis? Yeah, <laughs> it's just me. Wow. I mean, it's, wow, it's... I, lo I love this. <laughs> <laughs> so so it's, a, it's, it's a made up word, but yeah, uh, I think it's been used quite frequently, not made by me. 
uh, but I okay. read it, but it's not a proper. I think it won't be there. Like I knew peri-implantitis. Like that. That yeah. was a first, like when I when I was a fourth year student, and then someone said peri-implantitis. Me and my friend Clifton looked at each other like, wow, that this is a thing. There's a word, and every time it's like a running <laughs> joke between me and him. But peri-cementitis is like my new favorite implant term. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So that's the reason I don't I don't use uh, cement retained crowns and I do anything and everything and which will go in troubleshooting anything and everything to make my restoration screw retained crown. Okay. So let's say there are two cement retained crown. If you are doing it, it will come in sort of two pieces. You'll have an abutment which you screw into the implant and then you have a crown which goes onto the abutment. Whereas the screw retained crown will come in one piece where you literally screw the whole crown into the implant via the channel. So the crown doesn't move. You have a screw access hole. So you seat the crown into the implant. It snugly seats in, and then you screw the screw from the channel to make it secure. Is anything that we talked about previously, because you mentioned about the internal, the innie and the outie, uh, and the butt and the cone, does, does any of them predisposed to oh because you've used this type of connection you can now only do screw retain or you can only do cement retain or is there still like you could still go either way still you can still go either way yeah so okay. you're not dictated by implantologists if that makes sense uh, or what implant it is go generally ahead. you can do either in either there are some system which you like the ankylos traditionally ankylos implant system you are you were meant to do a cement retain and that's how the implant was developed but most of my enclosed restoration when I placed and restored they're screw retained so there may be system who were traditionally evolved for cement retained restoration but you can still make screw retained restoration most of the system you can mm -hmm. I don't see any reason why you can't now to make it even more complicated the, the screw retained restoration has two different types okay one type which is the most favorite type for lab technician is you have a pre-made abutment titanium abutment okay the technician will then cement in the lab crown on top of the abutment create a hole so you can access the screw okay so it's a pre-made abutment cemented with panavia or some sort of a cement the crown is cemented on top crown is created a hole and that makes one piece implant does that make sense is that also called screw mented or not Screw-mented, yeah, screw-mented, yeah, okay. screw crown. My crown. second so, favorite word in implants, screw-mented. Yeah, screw <laughs> I don't even know. I've looked for that word and I could not find anywhere, but I don't know where I got that word from. Um, but they, I'm sure there's someone who said it. Um, I, I saw it from Pinadeth, Pinadeth's jaws. Yeah, I saw him use it once on Facebook Pinadeth, many years ago. Yeah. That's right. Uh, yeah, so yeah. screw-mentable screw 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 crown. So, so the screw-mentable crown is basically cemented outside. Obviously, with any screw-retained crown, you need to make sure you implant in the right position, right? Because if you're, let's say, doing central incisor and the excess, the implant excess is coming through the buckle, you can't have a hole on the buckle aspect. Again, we will discuss in troubleshooting how to overcome that issue. But uh, for now, just imagine the implant's in a perfect place and now you're making a screw-retained crown, okay? So she's doing the screw-retained crown. So that's the one way to do it. The problem with this is that the stock abutment, or we call it tie bases, titanium bases. Most of the implant company would call it tie bases or a stock abutment. They are very, very small. That somehow the, the height is not appropriate. So you have a big crown, tall crown, cemented on a smaller abutment. And you mm. tend to see some decementation of the crown over the time, like you see in a normal crowns. Unfortunately, as a dentist who is not in the lab, 
you would know the height. You would not know the height of the abutment because the crown is cemented. So when the crown comes to you, it's in one piece. You can't tell what's the height of the abutment underneath it. And that's something you need to tell your technician to send you a photo of the abutment height. I want to see the chimney height. So if I am using this type of crown, which I do now, I want my technician to custom mill the abutment of the chimney height. I want the chimney height just one millimeter shy of the occlusal aspect of the crown. So it provides the full support to the crown. Does that make sense? But but these ones use like you said they don't they don't exist in the stock. So is, they, does that mean they have to make it? In so a custom it's a custom. Or? Yeah. So it comes in a custom groomentable crown. So it's a sort of sub sub category. Mm. Not many technicians do that for titanium. Okay, and that's why the best way to do it, which I've been doing until now, is always have a custom abutment. Don't use a stock abutment. So I always use mm -hmm. custom abutment until I found a technician who can turn the titanium. Apparently, that you can't mill the titanium. You have to turn it. It's a different procedure to turn the titanium. But until now, I've used a chrome abutment because chrome is easy to mill. Mm -hmm. And you can put a porcelain on chrome like PFM. So it's genuinely one piece implant. There is no like cementation or anything. So the technician or a, a company milling center will mill the abutment to your specification, to the height, width, whatever you like. It will come to technician. Technician will then put a porcelain on top and make one piece implant. And that's how implant, screw retain implant started. And we, we tend to use to call it a UCLA abutment because, or UCLA crown because it was there in America, UCLA University. That was the, the university started doing that first. So we learned as a UCLA, but it's basically a PFM screw retain crown. Okay, so and it's this one is like piece. Pre previously, it would have been perhaps waxed up and the, the, the standard PFM way, but Casted, now it's all yeah. milled. Milled, yeah. But now it's yeah. all milled so I, and done. Okay. So when I did when I did my training, we casted that and then did it. So I made it myself by casting. We didn't have at Eastman milling machine, so we casted everything. But now uh, milling is much more predictable, uh, much more better than casting. You get much less error, uh, and marginal fitting is better. The problem is that the custom abutment, if they are chrome, chrome oxidizes, right, over the time. So when you put chrome with the titanium, there are, there's argument, there's no studies on that, but but I've seen it, at least my 10-year-old cases, if I remove the crown, you see uh, oxidized gunk, you know, the the process, So which I, I stopped liking. So this is me evolving, really, and that's why I'm using now titanium because titanium to titanium is a better connection mm -hmm. and better sort of health-wise as well, biologically is better. So I use, that's why titanium screw-mentable crowns, but it's turned, it's custom titanium. It's not a Got it's it. not, so you're not a relying stock. on the stock one. But, 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 but lots of dentists are still using the stock tie-based, right? Because they don't know, right? So, so I've done it. So I have, when I started my implant restoration journey, I used to tell technician, I want to screw it in crown. That's it. And crown come out really nice, screw it in, and then you see after three, four years, crowns start popping off because, you know, the cement's failing. And then you see the size of a bucket. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The ceramic is coming away and there's a tiny metal peg left in the patient's mouth. Yeah, over it's, the generally it's an it's a Emax or a Zirconia crown. So it's a one-piece crown cemented on the abutment. The, the whole crown comes out and you see the abutment and you think, how the hell it lasted even four years? Like It's like it's small, really, really tiny. So that's something you need to know the difference between customer abutment tie basis and 
chrome and and versus titanium okay does that make sense okay so this is really making sense to me and it's shown me a new light on in this entire thing in terms of the challenges and makes a lot of sense from a mechanical point of view but in our lab prescription if i was to summarize so far you're going to tell obviously which tooth it is i'm going to summarize it amazing perfect okay i'm now summarizing the the whole thing because i just want to make sure that you understand the basics when i'm when, when i'm saying what you need to tell the technician so mm -hmm. i'm just just covering the basics mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to make sure you understand or not you the, but but the but the audience understand what uh, we are trying to do so the first thing you need to, you need to you need to write few things in your lab docket but once you and technician work together very well most of this will be kind of assumed so technician would know what type of things you want but when you're starting it's better practice to write everything down okay so first you're going to write down the the type and brand of implant what type of implant you used so you need to write that down you need to write down implant size and connection size because just to give an example biohorizon has 3.8 mm implant with 3.5 mm connection and 3 mm connection so by just saying that i have a 3.8 mm implant doesn't mean anything you need to tell technician what connection size it is does that make sense I mean, it makes sense because uh, because I'm accepting that this is the the way it is. But this is a whole new level. So this is like, you got the implant, you got the innie and the outie, but now you're telling me there's a connection. What's this all about, mate? What, what, what implant people? Why are you making our life so complicated? Yeah, they just want you to. I mean, they, and then there's different screws you can't interconnect and different drivers you can't. It's all a business game, isn't it? I mean, but then but then I think I know why it started. Right? So it started because probably there was Branamark implant one type. And then like, how can we improve it? Let's start something different. And then how can we, then people start, and then everyone prefers, I'm sure there are like, in America, they use BioHorizon, BioHorizon is one of the biggest brand, and that's a butt joint connection. They like, they love it. I don't like it. Does that make sense? So I think industry is trying to cater everyone, and that made things a lot of, lot, lot difficult. This connection information, like, like that, that sticker that you said, which tells you if it's a sticky innie, sticky outie, how wise the implant, would that also tell you the connection or is it something that you decide? Yes, it will have the connection. So it will have the uh, details of okay. the sticker will have. So you can either just send it over to technician, technician know what to do with it, uh, or you, you write it down, if that makes sense. So um, you need to make sure that you've got the, the written down. You then need to take, obviously, clinical photo for the shade. So you need to make sure what shade it is. If you have taken periapical radiograph or your implantologist has taken radiograph, then it's good to send that to technician because technician needs to know how deep is the implant and where the bone is in, in relation to the implant. When they're making emergence profile, many of the technician, they don't know how much gum to compress so to get the better emergence profile. So it's, it's better for technician to have that radiographic evidence just to give some reference, okay? So some sort of a radiograph with implant in place would be good. If you take a radiograph and you put the impression post, that's even better because they can sort of measure it from there. Mm -hmm. Then you need to mention what type of restoration you want the technician to make, okay? So we discussed screw retain restoration versus cement retain restoration. So you want to tell technician that please make screw retain crown for this. Now, you would have had a discussion with technician whether you want them to make screw mentable or UCLA type crown, okay? You need to tell- So prefabricated versus custom, right, in a, in a way? They both are custom, at least for me, because I wouldn't recommend tie bases. Stock abutment, just no, no. But screw mentable, as, as I said, you can have custom abutment, but titanium. And titanium, you can't put porcelain on it. 
So even if the titanium abutment is custom, you have to still cement the crown because porcelain won't stick to titanium, like PFM crown. Does that make sense? So you can't really fire Mm -hmm. the porcelain on it. So you need to tell the technician what it is. For the first few times, I would advise you to ask technician to send you photos of the abutment before they cement the crown. So then you understand exactly what they're doing, okay? And then... If there is any other specific detail you want either side of the teeth to be adjusted or you want your technician to know what is the size of the crown, do you want your technician to tell you or dictate, would you benefit from doing something like a restoration to either side of the teeth to get the better aesthetics, better contact point? Because sometimes, as I said, the amalgam sticking out and you missed it, you need your technician to guide you with that. You know, yes, it's a faff, you have to take a new impression and all that, but at least patient gets a much better restoration for for rest of their life, at least until the rest of the restoration's life, if that makes sense. So that's something you need to tell. And then obviously you need to transport this securely, as I said, in a box with a bubble wrap uh, to technician. Now we haven't discussed, when we discussed the impression, a digital impression. Right, let's talk about that because that's the final thing I want to talk about before we do part two. But before we get to digital, a, little bit, a few more points on this um, prescription. I think this is being very useful for the Petrusrati who are thinking about it for the first time about writing their prescription. So just summarize, we've got the sticker information and you're asking for a screw retained ideally. Now, but you, you mentioned a really good scenario where if you've got a central incisor and the, the you know palatal bone is often more available. And so the, the implant is coming out facially. It's like pointing at you and therefore if you did a screw retained you'd have to put a composite on the buckle and it's going to look ugly so therefore in that scenario you might go for a cement retained am I, am I right in saying that nope now there's a suspense for the for the second episode so i'm going to cover that in the second episode how to manage these kind of scenarios so i don't do screw retained i don't do cement retained as i said in level 11 years and and um i made a lot of mess you know i placed implant where it shouldn't not in the right direction, let's say, and I have recovered from it. So I will share with you how I I did it and what are the options. But yes, cementing would be one of the way to overcome that. Okay, Okay. but 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 we don't like this, and I and I like that. So I like knowing that we're super pro screw retained. So fine. So you'll ask for a screw retained implant crown. One question I had though is, let's say we're going for this not UCLA approach. Let's say we're going for a custom titanium base. And then the technician will screwment it, so they will screw your crown on top. Is there any guidelines where, where if Emacs or zirconia or any type of restorative material is your restorative material of choice? So uh, studies have shown that zirconia, polished zirconia, has a better attachment of long junction epithelium. So if you put a subgingival poly, polished zirconia, yeah, so it's much better connection. So yes, uh, I, I, I prefer polished zirconia for that. And then, if it's an aesthetic case, then it's, it should be it would be layered on top, if that makes sense. So it will be layered zirconia for the coronal part, but subgingival, it will be polished just as just as zirconia. Monolithic, no, no layering. Mm-hmm. Monolithic, yeah, so no, no layering. That's my material of choice. But yes, uh, if I'm doing let's say Emacs veneers or crowns, then I may select Emacs crown for implant as well, just to match the the cosmetic or aesthetic aspect of it. But I generally tell technician, like, can you match it with the zirconia? And if they say yes, then I'll still go with zirconia. 
Uh, excellent. That's really helpful. And it, it perfectly. Uh, but if we're going to go for the UCA, uh, UCLA approach and then uh, they're going to custom make this metal abutment of the right height and size and then you said that we can get the porcelain to bond and fuse to make it like a one-piece thing, does that mean now we have to use a certain type of material and we can't use Emacs and Zirconia anymore? No, we can't unfortunately. So with, with UCLA type abutment, we have all the limitation what we have with the PFM crowns. So the aesthetic I find with UCLA type abutment is always tricky because a technician has to mask that metal. And the porcelain, because it's falsopathic porcelain, needs to be fully supported. So you can't have a thin metal and a big bulk of porcelain because it will fracture, right? So you, you can't be, build beyond it. And that's the difficulty with PFM crowns. Even though you prepared a lot of preparation, technician can't just have a thin metal and then lots of porcelain because it's weak. So aesthetic is my prime concern. I always go with screw mentable crowns because I have much better control over aesthetic. That's amazing. And just reminds me of, and this is general restorative dentistry. It reminds you of me being on a consultant clinic at Guy's Hostel. It was Mr. Saravanamutu. And uh, he was going around patient to patient. uh, And this patient had um, this crown, this normal crown, not an implant crown. uh, And the porcelain was chipping away. And then he goes into like viva mode and he starts asking his questions. And he says, why did this crown chip? And uh, we're saying, oh, not enough porcelain. There wasn't enough porcelain here. He goes, well, not enough porcelain or too much porcelain? And that made me yeah. think, oh, wow, okay. Actually, yeah. there w- it was too much porcelain, not supported by the metal underneath, hence why it fractures. Yeah. It really changed my thinking. It's very relevant to exactly what you said there. Let's now cover, Devang, if you don't mind, digital. And, and, and when did you move away from impressions and to digital? And what are the nuances of scanning for implant crowns? So I had a, I, I use Medit scanner. I bought it myself. So I'm an so I'm now an I'm a, I'm an owner, but my practice already had a scanner. So when I was an associate as well, I still am. Uh, I have a Medit scanner, and I had it in my car or with me for two and a half years, and I just started using it like six months ago. The reason being is that <laughs> scanning it's easy for us, but we are leaving we are giving a lot of control to technician. And finding a technician who really appreciates that, does a really good job, was very hard. I, I scanned now and then, and I had a very difficult work coming back. is not great. So now I found a technician which I'm working for, but six months is still pretty soon. But I've got a couple of technicians now who I work for, and I'm kind of happy with it. And, you know, a lot of issues like movement of the post, occlusion, capturing the bite, goes away when you're doing digital because it's so much easier to do digitally. Right. So uh, I'm doing now my all my full math reconstruction fully digital as well, because it just makes sense to move away from the traditional. Although I still do time to time, you know, depending on what I'm doing, uh, conventional full math reconstruction, I do my own wax up. But now I'm doing more and more digital. With regards to implants, you need to have an appropriate scan body. That's an impression post for digital impression. Okay, it's called scan body and you need to have appropriate now. All the companies would have their own scan bodies. And if you're technicians using company branded specific material, like a stock abutments, then you can use, let's say, Biohorizon implant, you can use Biohorizon scan body. And you can scan. So generally it would work is you you would take the healing abutment out, let's say upper right five premolar, take the healing abutment out, you scan in Medit, that's how it works. You scan the jaw without anything. Then you put the scan body and scan that section and the medit will in- integrate that with the full jaw. And then you do mm. the rest of the scanning like you do normally. You take the 
impression scan body out and check the byte and take the byte as well. So so that the scanning is pretty simple. I mean, this sounds really easy. I mean, there's no GUI stuff. There's no open tray. There's no closed tray. This sounds ideal. So easy. And then you need to obviously send it to a technician and it's all done digitally, as you know. So you can write down in your prescription what you want and goes with the page, the, the technician. If you're doing two implants next to each other, that's even better because generally, you know, traditionally, if you do take impression for two implants next to each other, it's a lot of faff. We need to connect them with the material so that they're rigid. Then we need to separate them and reconnect them because connecting material shrinks. It's a lot of faff. With the digital, you can just, just take impression because they are kind of, they're not going to move, if that makes sense. So two unit is like two implant next to each other is also fine digitally. So digital impressions is pretty simple and safe as far as the technician knows what they're doing. But if you're learning implants, if you're the beginner, like the the, 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 the case, the example we've given you throughout this episode, if you're doing your first premolar, what would be your advice? Like you know, for me, like I'm, I'm very digital now. So if I'm starting yeah. to restore implants, just because I am digital, would you say, okay, because you are digital already, just go for the scan bodies? Or yeah. do you think I should take a step back and, and do impressions? No, just scan it. Scan it. Just make sure you and technicians are on the same page. Find a technician who has more experience so they can guide you. So my technician, when I started, I remember Uli Harshal, he's from Italy. So I used to send my work to Italy because I got to know him so, when so I went to Ford. No, I, because I knew him from my Ford Curie's course, which I did for block grafting. So I sent him, it was really expensive, but amazing because he would dictate. He's like, yeah, your, your prep's not good. Or like he would not fear criticizing dentists and I want someone to criticize me so that I can improve, right? So, and he would say, look, Dev, add, add some composite on this. He was the only technician who I found who would tell me to do stuff, like do it this way, like kind of. I would, I would, I would not agree all the time, but you know, most of the time he would be right. So if you find a good technician, scan it. It makes your life so much easy. And that's the technology is going, you know, and digital is the way forward. So yeah, scan it as well as you and technician know what you're doing. Brilliant. Now, just give us a flavor of what we're going to be covering in part two. And, and do you, do you <laughs> mind, Devang? I've been thinking of the title of this episode series the whole time we've been talking. Is it okay with you if we call this a two-part series? And I don't mean to offend anyone. I just feel like it's very relatable because like, I'm an idiot. I'm very basic. So if we call it you know, the innie, the outie thing, as you're discussing, can we call it an idiot's guide to restoring the single implant? Do you mind? As far as you think you're not offending anyone, that's all. Um, you know, people tend to get, they offend quite easily, don't they? Uh, but yeah, as far as you're happy, I'm happy, you know. Uh, I'm going to take I'm, a I chance and, and, and assume that the Petrucciarati know that I've got their best interests <laughs> at heart. And actually, the questions I was asking was genuinely for me, like, wait a minute. You know, was, I was in, when I was interrupting you, it's because generally, like, I need to be told, like, when it comes to implants, like, I'm five years old. And I found that the Petrucciarati usually thank me for this uh, and they don't hate me for it. So let's go with that. Brave decision. Yeah. Guys, Guys, let me know in the comments below, was this the right choice to, to call this uh, title an idiot's guide or are you offended? If you're offended, I'm sorry, but grow up, <laughs> grow a pair. Uh, so, 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 so Devang, what are we covering I'm in part two of the idiot's guide to restoring this? <laughs> <laughs> what are we covering in part two, my friend? In the part two, we are covering, which we are both very passionate about, which is occlusion. As we're going to cover occlusion, uh, we're going to cover fitting of the crown and occlusion maintenance of implant and really a troubleshooting because when you start you know uh, I, I remember this quote from uh, Mike Tyson that everyone has a has a plan until you get punched in the face 
So until you get punched in the face, like once you get the problem, you think everything's fine. Does that make sense? So we're going to discuss about some of the problems, mm-hmm, some of the mm-hmm. mess I created really over this 10, 11 years uh, and how I learned from it. So you learn from my mistake and hopefully you won't do that again. So I'm excited. Standing on the shoulders of giants and, and all that jazz. Amazing. Uh, Devin, are you going to cover the scenario where you've done your implant crown, everything's hunky-dory, and then a few years later you come back and now there's an open contact where there wasn't before? Are you going to cover that scenario? I will. It's not much you can do, to be honest. You will now. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I will cover it. I will cover it, yeah. <laughs> okay, because cool. that's happened to me where I've seen a patient and then food getting stuck there. But uh, and I and I read that this is a, a common issue and it's Very due to age related changes. And you know, you you can explain about uh, what, what you know how to manage those scenarios. It would be great, you know. So troubleshooting, yeah, sure. I'm very much looking forward to that. Devang, thank you so much. I've got to pick my kid up from school. Uh, he's finishing earlier today because of the the whole last day of summer. But uh, we're going to get our dates sorted. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, there we have it, guys. Did you enjoy the sticky innie, the sticky outie? Try and really make it as basic as possible. Like, I find it so frustrating, right? These implants, they all come with different settings and different types. And this is the real big barrier. This is what makes implants and learning implants and restoring implants such a steep learning curve, right? It's just getting your head around all the different vast possibilities. Like you need to be some sort of genius to figure out the matrix. And, and hand on heart, this is what stopped me. I think one of the reasons it stopped me from pursuing this in the past, uh, I just felt it was just too complex. It was just too much going on. And I just liked some other areas of dentistry, which I do. And I've just gone all in with that. Maybe I'll do implants and stuff in the future. But I hope you appreciate that it's really important that we learn these things, right? Implants are becoming more and more common. So I hope you enjoyed learning about restoring single implants and the different nuances. And now you know what an internal hex and an external hex is as well. There we are. If you'd like to gain CPD, an hour and 15's worth of CPD, get a certificate, have somewhere that you can put your reflective login, which will actually turn up on your certificate as well, that Marie will email to you then join the app. That's Protrusive.app. You can actually use it on Android, iOS, and the login also works on your laptop on Protrusive.app. Or of course, if you're watching on YouTube for free, I appreciate that. I still appreciate you watching all the way to the end. Thank you everyone for listening, especially the audio listeners. You guys are awesome. I'll catch you in the next episode.